So some of you guys in here are so incredibly loving to me, like I, I don't even deserve it, and you're very supportive, and, and it's awesome, but no matter who in here thinks they like me the best, you do not like me anything close to what my two-year-old son does. He doesn't know any better yet, but my two-year-old son, like, like we're so close, and, and I don't mean to like, for that to sound weird, but I... I invest a lot in my kids, and I talk about my kids a lot. I'm sorry if you, you don't like hearing kids' stories. It's going to be tough to be here because I talk about them a lot because I learn from them so much. And my two-year-old son, he's going to turn three May 20th. Like, like, I know this kid in and out. Like, I know what he's going to do before he does it. And he likes me more than you like me, and that's probably a healthy thing. But there, there's certain times where it's like, if you got close, like if you became good friends with my two-year-old son, there would be times where maybe he might jump up on your chair for a minute, and, and he would say a sentence to you, like he'd say, like he doesn't really speak in good sentences, he'd say, I go, and then he'd look at you and he'd start to walk away, and then he'd look back at you like, this person's broken, they don't know what they're doing. And, and he'd come get up on your chair and he'd say, I go, and he'd walk away, and you'd let him go, and, you'd be, and he'd be like, what is wrong with this person? And it's because he's expecting something different out of you. Because if he's with his dad, I know something about him that if he's on my lap and he says, I go, he's not telling me he's about to leave. He's telling me we're playing a game now. And the game is that if I'm on your lap and I start to walk away, as soon as I get arms reach out, you have to grab me and pull me back and tickle me and make me laugh. And then we'll do that over and over and over until you can't take it anymore. And that's what he does. And I know this because I'm his dad, because I'm close to him, because we have a relationship. And this relationship is one that it's like, and until you get on the inside, there's certain things that you just won't know about them. There's certain things that you definitely won't feel about them. And there's certain experiences you have that you won't have until you get close to that other person. This is true with all relationships. I mean, you get it. You have inside jokes with other people. You know people in a way that when they say something, you understand what they say different than everyone else in the room. And we understand what interpersonal closeness is like. But what, what I want to work on, and this is going to be the longest series that we've ever done as a church, but what I want to work on over the next seven weeks is, is that so many of us have adopted a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ, where it's like, I have rules that I follow, and as long as I follow these rules, I'm in good standing. And so our relationship with him, it's been kind of cold, it's been kind of hollow, like I, I have to do things because if I don't do them, I'll feel guilty about them and he'll get angry at me and, and that's how we connect with God when really our relationship with him needs to be much more like that interpersonal relationship where it's like, I know him and I know his heart. I know what he's gonna say before he's gonna say it to me because I'm so familiar with who he is as a person and what his values are like. And God looks at you and says, I know what your needs are. And you know that he knows what your needs are, so you don't have to worry about your needs because you know that he's going to meet them as you seek his kingdom first. And the goal is, I mean, the, the, the objective of this next seven weeks really is that you'll begin to interact with the person of Jesus Christ rather than this idea of some, some authority figure that is there and I need to submit to him, otherwise I'll be in trouble. The concept is, yes, he's in charge, but man, I give him charge because he loves me so much. And it's so easy to slip away from that. And it's so easy to fall into the traps of guilt. And even in our quiet times, even in these times where it's like we try to devote this time to be quiet before God and pray to him and read scripture and serve other people. And we try to do these things, but it's like the motivation for those things aren't necessarily because we love him. It's because we know we should do them. And I want to see us move to where we do these things 
just because we love it, just because we love him. Because as we open up our Bible, we get to see more of the personality and the person of Jesus Christ. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to study the life of Christ. And we just came through Christmas, and so we've already checked off the nativity, but we're going to dive into the beginning of his ministry, and we're going to look through the teachings of Jesus. And my goal is for you not to just memorize or know or have exposure to the teachings of Christ, but that you would begin to have exposure to the personality of Christ. Because sometimes, you know, we make him out to be the overarching authority figure, but sometimes we make him like to be this marshmallow man who never says anything that upsets anyone and he accepts us no matter what we do, which he will take you from whatever you've been in, but he will not leave you there. And if you're under the misconception that Jesus will not challenge your heart and your mind in the way that you think and live and invest, you haven't met him yet. Because he will challenge us and he will speak harsh Difficult words to hear to our heart of how we need to make changes, but that is all in the context of a perfect and loving relationship. And so I want to dive into this, but there, there's a few things just because I know that we have people in, in, in our congregation that are so new to Scripture, I don't want to miss over a few things. And so when we talk about the life of Christ, one of the first things that I want to make sure we're all on the same page on is that there's actually four retellings of the life and death and resurrection of Christ in Scripture. And we refer to them as the Gospels because the word gospel just means good news. The the fact that we aren't responsible to try to earn salvation. God paid all of our debt in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is great news for all people. And so we refer to these four books as the Gospels. And they're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one of these Gospels, they're written to a different audience. And so they include different details. And so as you read them, some of the details, they felt like, okay, we're writing to a group of Hebrews, so we need to make sure we include the genealogies because these Hebrew people, they know all about this lineage of Christ, and this is going to be meaningful and important to them, so we have to include it. Uh, Other Gospels just read much more like an action-packed adventure story where they're written towards the Gentiles, the people who didn't grow up in the Hebrew temples and grow up in that culture and didn't know those stories, so they focused on the miracles and the miraculous things that Christ did. Whenever someone comes to me and says, I haven't read the Bible before, where should I start? I always encourage them. The Gospel of John is a great place to start. It's easy to understand, and it's that story in the picture of Jesus Christ. And you can soak in his teachings and soak in what his heart is like through that book. And and so as we go through this today and as we go through the next seven weeks, I'm really going to be trying to give you a holistic picture of situations. And because Matthew includes different details about like the Jesus interaction with John the Baptist than what John does we're going to pull from some of these places so that we can have a holistic picture of some of the things that happened and so we're going to be jumping in different places and we've actually I'm going to remind you about this towards the end we've actually put together a 50-day reading plan and this is going to lead us right up to Easter and so for the next 50 days what I want to challenge us to do is to be reading about the life of Christ And these different chapters are going to correspond with what we teach about on Sunday. So if you read these and then you come in on Sunday, you're you're going to hear the text that you read during the week as I'm preaching. And so if if you haven't had the opportunity or if it's been a while since you've been reading scripture, I I would love for you to grab one of these book cards on your bookmarks on the way out. And on the back, it has some encouragement about how to spend your time with God and, and follow along. And our goal is that each one of us will will grow closer to the person of Christ through his word and through studying what he has to say. 
One of the gospel accounts, Luke, it, it opens up and it says, you know, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And so I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know with certainty the things that you have been taught. This is an interesting thing to know as a background as we jump into these passages because the writers of Scripture, especially Luke, as he gets into chapter 3, he begins this process of naming the governors and the people who served under the governors and the people who were the rulers and the leaders in the temple. And he's writing to them because the reason he's including their names is it was written within their lifespan. They said, so if you, these things happened amongst us. So if you have any questions, go ask these guys. Go talk to the people that were around them. Go fact check me on these things if you have questions about them. And the details that he puts as far as who is in authority, who's in these different positions, even secular historians who, who deny the miracles of Scripture, they have given account of saying that, that these are, are accurate records. I, I mean, we have a great record of what happened and we can have confidence in what's written. And so as we read these accounts, it's important to know that, that we can trust them, that, that what is written is accurate both historically as well as the things that happened within the miraculous nature of what Christ did. And so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are retelling these stories. But the place that, that this huge change, this new covenant that Jesus began to establish, it started with John the Baptist. And this is just some more Bible history to make sure we're on the same page. At the close of what we call the Old Testament, there was a 400-year gap where there was no prophets to be found in Israel. And so the book of Malachi closed, and from what we understand, that that was the last time that God spoke through a prophet until John. Can you imagine a people who are used to having a prophet going through 400 years? There must have been a sense of abandonment. There must have been a sense of God has finished with us. They had broken the covenant that they had with God so many times that they go through this gap of 400 years without hearing from him. And, the, and, they, and even though they haven't been hearing from him, they have this temple system set up where if you wanted forgiveness of sins, the temple had grown in a way where, where they would actually want you to buy your sacrifice there and they were overcharging people. And there's this system set up that if you want forgiveness of sins, you come in, you speak to the official at the temple, they tell you what you need to buy, what you need to sacrifice, they take your money from you, and then they say, okay, you're forgiven until you mess up again. And this is the system that played out over and over. And it became very harsh. It became very cold. It became, it doesn't matter if you helped the person who was the orphan or the widow. What mattered is, is did you give a tenth of your finances, of your spices, of the crops that were grown? Did you check all the boxes? Did you do all the religious duties that you had to do just between you and God? Don't worry about other people. If they're sick, if they're alone, if they're hurting, that's probably because they sinned. Leave them be. And this was the feeling and the nature of what the Jewish belief system became like. And then John arrives on the scene, and we're going to pick up in John chapter 1, verse 17. And we see John the Baptist, who is foretold in Scripture that there would be one who came, who prepared the way. And he begins to write this description of Jesus Christ as we get into John. And it says, For the law was given through Moses. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Now, before we even get to John the Baptist, I'm sorry, I have to pause there just real quick. Because as it says, for the law was given through Moses, understand, you've got to understand the controversial nature of this statement amongst the Hebrew people. And I also want to prepare your mind for when we see Jesus speak certain sentences, like when Jesus, Jesus is speaking about the, the law that was written, and he says, for you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. 
But I tell you, you don't, you don't feel the anxiety that they would have felt. Because in this culture, if you spoke poorly of Moses and what he wrote to the Israelite people, I mean, that, that was a, a, a punishable by death offense. But like to speak against the law and the prophets, I mean, that, that was chaos breaking out. And Jesus says later, you've heard it said, but I tell you, that's like saying, you're di- wait, wait a minute, you're disagreeing with Moses? And, and then this statement, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ? This is saying something whole, wholly new and different is coming. And though Jesus said, I have not come to abolish or to, to delete the law, he says, I come to fulfill it. Jesus is doing something that's completely brand new from from what they've experienced, and this would have caused all kinds of anger, of uncertainty, of confusion amongst the religious leaders. As they see and they say, okay, I see that God's working through this person, that he's healing through this person, that that, that people are responding to John the Baptist's teachings, but, but this is wholly wrong. This isn't how we do it. I mean, just the fact that John the Baptist was out in the wilderness and people were repenting of their sins and being baptized, doesn't John the Baptist realize that, that forgiveness, that repentance is supposed to happen in the temple where the sacrifices are, where the priests are, where the Levites are? I mean, he's doing that wrong. And, and John the Baptist, his, his nickname wasn't just because he baptized lots of people. He's from what we can tell in Scripture and other historical accounts. It, he was the first person that would put his hands on people when he baptized them. And there's a sense of, whoa, this is different. This is a change of things. And that's why like, the most literal translation is John the baptizer was what he was called. Because he would actually put his hands on people and baptize them. And he would call people to repentance. And, and this was, this was whole, a whole shift in the system. And so that's why he was getting so much attention, not just from people, but from the religious leaders, because as they saw this, it was like, oh, you know, the new place opened up across town and, and everybody's leaving and going over there. There's a sense of like, you know, everyone should be over here, but they're over there. And so as, as John's authority and his following grows and grows, some of the leaders in, in the temple begin to say, okay, we need to send some people over there to figure out what's going on and who this guy thinks he is. Because in the past, other people had risen up and said, you know, I'm the Messiah. Follow me. I'm going to lead us to freedom from Rome. And they would get this gathering of people and they would rise up and then the Romans would brutally settle them down. And so the leaders of, of the temple, they, they would try to keep that from happening. And so if this person was claiming to the Messiah, they were going to probably bring them back to the temple and interrogate them and find out you know, who this person is. And so they begin to send some people and from, from what we can best put together from the two different accounts, first they, they most likely sent Jewish leaders, some priests, and some temple assistants from Jerusalem, in verse 19, it says that this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? Now, first of all, like these are the, probably the underlings because the walk from Jerusalem to where John was baptizing people in the river, it was like you, you start walking at sun up and you get there at sundown. It wasn't an, an easy walk to take. And so they go there and they ask, who are you? In verse 20, it says, he came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. And they said, well, then who are you? They asked, are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? We can't go back and tell them who you're not. We need to go back and tell them who you are. So who are you? Give us an answer. And and, and then he, he said to them, John replied in verse 23, 
and he replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Now this was just another thing, like the voice of God, and and there's authority of quoting Isaiah that this was going to happen, that the voice that's directing God's people, it's not coming from the temple, it's coming from the wilderness, and it's saying, you know what, if you're, if you're stirred up, if you're worried, if you're angry about what I'm doing, just wait till the guy who's coming after me gets here. If you think that I've changed things, just wait, because they, they were going to be moving from an old system to a new system. And, and in this interaction, we have a different picture of what likely happened just, just after that in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. It describes this other situation that was similar, but it says, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees, now these are, the, these are the big dogs. These are the executives. These are the decision makers from the temple. These are the guys who have expensive oil on their bodies so, so, so the people know that they're important. So, so that as they walk, they don't just see the clothes, but there's the smell, there's the whole experience. As they walk through the temple, people are instructed to make way for them. These were the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to watch him baptize. And as John saw them, he denounced them. He said, you brood of snakes, he exclaimed. That's probably not how they were used to being greeted when they showed up at places. Uh, Probably not well received. And he said, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. I want to pause there for a minute because he's going to begin to talk about fruit and trees. And and this is an illustration that's used later on. Jesus uses this in his teaching. The apostle Paul uses this in his writings, talking about what kind of fruit should be growing out of what kind of tree. And he says, I want to look at the results because when I look at you, I should be seeing a result and I don't. I mean, I I compare this to one, one time after church, we went to Kentucky Fried Chicken. It was not a great choice-making day. Um, sorry, KFC, if you're listening to this somewhere. Um, but we went, and as we got there, and we started to order our chicken, they said, uh, hold on, we don't have any chicken. <laughs> we are a Kentucky Fried Chicken right now, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not confused about this. You don't have chicken? Why are you open? Well, we have sodas. This is great. Like, you're supposed to have chicken. That is who you are. That is your identity. And if you don't have any chicken, you may as well just close shop for the day. This is why we come here. And you know how it is when you, after church you're hangry, you need your food, you get somewhere, you wait in line just to not have anything to order. You can have a bad reaction to that. And you, when you go somewhere, you expect what they're supposed to have there. And, and he was looking at their lives and saying, this is what your life should have, but I'm not seeing any of that. Your life should have grace. Your life should be, con- should be concerned about the people in your city. Your, your life should be concerned about the foreigner who is amongst you, who needs compassion. But I'm not seeing that from your lives. And, and I'm going to continue to read the rest of the passage of, of you know, what the prophet's words were, which were harsh words. And I want, I want you to hear, starting at verse 8, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots from the tree. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. 
Those were rough, rough words for leaders of the temple to hear. But very rare is the circumstance where, where God writes something in Scripture and he's speaking to someone else while he isn't also speaking to us in some ways. This same illustration is given to us more directly through Jesus' teachings, through the Apostle Paul's teachings. And so I, I think it's very easy for us to look and be like, yeah, they were terrible while failing to look at ourselves. Because as a church, as individuals, as believers in Christ, there's certain fruit that is expected to grow out of our life. And the American church has this propensity to fall into this, like, what what we really need as a church is we need to go deeper. We need to get smarter. We need to get more philosophical. We need to understand the challenging things. We need to study eschatology. We need to know the things that other people don't know so that we can grow more mature in our faith when what Scripture says is that what knowledge does is knowledge puffs up. And, And knowledge and understanding, it is important, but if we begin to exchange knowledge and understanding for obedience to God, we have reached a critical point. When we just want to gather information and we want to get smarter and smarter, but we're not interested in moving across the street to to go and help a neighbor, there is a huge problem in our faith. For, For individuals, it's also true of churches. If our church ever grows to the condition where where we make someone feel unwelcome because their life is a mess right now because we want to be a church that that is deep, that is is discipled, that that is mature in our faith, and so we don't make space for the person who is new, who is struggling, who's going through divorce, who's going through recovery. If we don't make room for that person in our church, we have moved away from the heartbeat of God. And I believe many churches in America can be described as right now God's axe is at the root of their tree ready to move their resources and their people to a place where they'll be led in obedience. And I want to be protective as your pastor that our heartbeat always has to be reflective of Christ's heartbeat. Otherwise, we'll get caught up counting, okay, is this tithe exact? Am I following the rules just right? Do I have the right dress code down? Am I listening to all the right music? Am I saying the right words at the right time? When in reality, we're supposed to look a little messy. We're supposed to look a little broken. We're supposed to be a little disheveled because we're supposed to be reaching to people who need hope, who need love, who need peace, who need someone to reach out and help them. What is the fruit of a church supposed to look like? Mature believers, yes, but not exclusively. It's supposed to look like a place where someone can walk in and feel loved and feel welcomed and feel challenged at the same time without having to go to either far side of the, the polar ends. We want to be welcoming and we want to be challenging at the same time because that's what the church of God is supposed to do. And John the Baptist, he was speaking to them and he was saying these days of religion without love, they're coming to an end. And if you think that what I've done is upsetting, you just wait till you see the guy that I'm making a way for. And then Matthew chapter three, just a couple of verses later after this interaction with the Pharisees and Sadducees, we're gonna pick up in verse 13. And it says, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Jesus shows up on this scene that has been unfolding with John's leadership and his teaching of repentance and in baptism where he was putting on his hands on and it's baptism a repentance, a baptism of repentance. And then in verse 13, it says, Jesus went from Galilee to Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done. 
for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, this miracle happened. The, the, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And it's this picture in just two verses where we see both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one context. And we see Jesus continuing to set this example of walking through the things that we should walk through. And so if there's part of you that's, that questions like, I haven't been baptized and I don't know if I should, even Jesus submitted himself to baptism. And the instruction that he gave us is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them teaching them to obey everything he's commanded. And baptism isn't something that puts your salvation in jeopardy, but it is one of the first steps of obedience for a believer. And it's difficult to skip steps in your walk with God. And if we're not willing to be obedient in one area, it usually transfers over. And we don't want to be people who pick and choose what we listen to God about. God, I'll listen to you in this area, but this area hands off. And so I just want to encourage you that as your pastor, and I believe the heart of our congregation, no matter how young or how old you are, if you desire to take the step in baptism, we are rooting for you. We are excited of you, excited for you. We are proud of you when you take that step because we want to be a people who take steps of obedience to follow what God has called us to do. And John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 29, John the Baptist speaks of Jesus when he looks at him, when he's approaching him, and he says this sentence, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he sees him approaching, and John obviously recognized who this person was. He recognized the immense importance of who Jesus was. And he said this sentence that once again, we hear, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This would have been shocking to the Jewish people who heard. What are you talking about? Why would you describe a person that way? And what do you mean the sin of the world? God is, God is concerned about taking away the sin of Israel. The sacrifice system is there for Israel and people who will convert to, to be a Hebrew person. And the Lamb of God, like that, that's a callback to the Old Testament sacrifices. Like that, that, that's not a person. John understood that Jesus was coming to create massive changes. And, and this change between the Old and the New Covenant, it, it, it's a complicated change and I, I understand that, but I want to try to clarify just some pieces of it because it's so important because as you discuss, as you understand this for yourself, discuss with other people or have people who are just, you know, arguing with you online about your faith. And one of the arguments that I always see is, you know, okay, well, if you're a Christian, then how come you, you don't do what the Bible says? In the Bible, in the Old Testament, it says that you're supposed to grow, grow out your, your sideburns if you're a man and never supposed to cut them. So where are your sideburns, good Christian person? It says it right there in the Bible. Well, that, that, that's the Old Testament. And I want you to understand that even in the Old Testament, it talked about that these things were going to change and they were going to come to an end. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 33, uh, the, the prophet writes and he's describing, talking about the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And he says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Can you hear the heartbeat of God in this, that it wasn't just rules, that, it, that I want this love relationship with them, but they, they, they broke it and they moved away from me time after time, declares the Lord. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law 
in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Galatians chapter 3 is another great chapter for you to go read if you're confused about the subject where the Apostle Paul says the whole point of the law was supposed to be like a tutor. It was supposed to be like a guide that brought us to Christ. And then once it brings us to Christ, we're not under that tutor anymore. That there's been a shift and there's a change that our sins have been once and forever paid for. And so we're not under that law. And just even the Old Testament, the old law, it said you won't be under this forever. And we as a people need to understand that, that we are now under grace. And and so there's three things that that in Jesus' life that he came to to bring, three things that he brought to change in respect to how we related to God. And the first one is a new covenant. You need to understand that, that through the life and death and resurrection of Christ, we were moved from the old covenant and the old ways and the old sacrifice system, the temple system, to a new system where we now have direct access to the throne of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And you are under this new covenant. The second thing is that he took over 600 rules and regulations that the Pharisees had put together and he, he really boiled it down to one or two things depending on how you want to describe it. Love God and love people. Love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gave us the great commission to go out. And so there's that new command, but the great commission really created that new movement. And he created this new movement of people. Because this is what it should look like. And band, if you guys would make your way up to the stage, I'm going to begin to close this out. In our life, when we experience this closeness with God, that it's not just I'm going to follow these rules and these regulations, but it's this closeness like, like he loves me and I know that he loves me and I love him because there's no greater mercy, there's no greater love, there's no greater joy, there's no greater wisdom than what's found in him. The obvious reaction is to say, I want to share this with other people. And Jesus narrowed it down and he said, you know, this is part of who we are as a people. In the Great Commission, when he said, go to all nations, go to all places, go to all people. He said, we have to be someone who takes us. And it created this movement of Christians who are bringing the love of God everywhere they go. And, you know, to go go back to that illustration of the father and son um, relationship with God that we should have of like a, a good father you know, with my own son, my, my son will be turning three May 20th. And he's still to the age um, where, where he still really likes me. And I know that'll change as a teenager, but right now, like, he wants me to rock him. And he wants me to read to him and tell him stories at night. And he even wants me to sing to him, even though, like, I am not a singer. Um, and I sing him different songs as times go on. Like sometimes I'll sing him a hymn or Christian song because I'm a pastor and of course I'm going to do that. Sometimes like right now I sing him Jack Johnson at night, um, Better Together. And part of it is, as I've talked about before, me and him love to look at the stars together. And so there's a line in that song that says, you know, we look at the stars when we're together. And he always asks me to sing. But over the last couple of weeks, every time when I say that line, he looks at me and he says, Stop singing. And then he laughs and laughs and laughs. And I laugh too because it's just, it's just so surprising, but he just does it every time. And I've known that he's going to do it. And so I can't even get through that line of the song without laughing because I already know his reaction. Because I know him. Now I know that your heavenly father knows you. But I want you to know your heavenly father. And Jesus said, if you, if you know me, If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. And if right now your picture of who Jesus is as a person is fuzzy, I want to invite you to join us together 
to get a clear picture of who Jesus Christ is. And so I, I've, I've done, I think, almost all that I can. I, I made you a reading plan that's going to take you through different gospels, experience the story. Our sermons are going to match up to what you've read over the course of the last week. Um, also, if you have the graphic for me, go ahead and put it up. If you have a phone because you know you lose pieces of paper and you'd like to do the reading plan, if you text 50 days to the number 9700, um, you will get a response back that that um, will give you the plan and it'll show up a week at a time. So you get all seven of the next days today and then all seven of the next days the, the next day. I'm checking to make sure I put the number down correctly. It's actually 97,000. So I apologize, 9700, three zeros. So if you're gonna do that, you can get it from our website. You can get it from our Facebook. I've put this reading plan everywhere. So in a moment's notice, you can find it in an instant so there's no excuses. And the heartbeat isn't just that you roll through some content. The heartbeat is get to know the person of Jesus Christ. Because the greatest gift that I can give to you isn't an event or in a service or anything like that. It's the opportunity to know this person who loves you so much that he died on a cross for you. And he wants to see you experience the fullness of life. Let me pray. Father, I pray for each one of our hearts that we would set aside past pain and past failure and past regrets that would keep us from seeking after you, that we would take those and that we would set them aside and that we would seek to see your heart and seek to hear your words in our life. And we know that you have searched us and you know us completely. You know every word before it moves off of our tongue. But Father, we wanna know your words. We wanna know your heart. We wanna know your mind. We wanna see this world the way that you see it. So start with us again today. And we will follow you in obedience with love as our motivation. In Jesus' name.